Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh, my God. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome to what is going to be a fantastic show. I trust that everybody is well out there. And if you don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, Volumes 1 through 8 and soon 9, in paperback and ebook format at Amazon. And if you're an audiophile, you can get Volumes 1 through 7 and shortly 8 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So do partake of that. And if you did not listen to the last broadcast, I just released a new book called How to Make Money, God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. That is in paperback and ebook, and I highly recommend your reading that, available at Amazon as well. And now, my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Doing very well, very well. Uh, Everything's coming up roses here weather-wise lately. We've had a fantastic week. Weather's uh, weather's pretty good out here. I'm actually out at the coast uh, taking a couple of days off of work and doing a little bit of painting, sanding, painting, masking, just trying to get the trim of the house through another couple of seasons before I have to pay the pros to do it. <laughs> you know, you know how that is. there's a lot of work involved in a good paint job. You know, when these guys give you a price, uh, you know, especially an exterior job, that's a big job, man, if you're oh, exactly. scraping and priming and coating, you know. so And just the price of the paint to do a house. Yeah, and out out here at the North Carolina coast, the salt is just so harsh. The weather's so harsh that, you know, you could pay pros to do it like every three years. I'm not going to do that. So I I pay them once, and then I try to limp through touching up the railings and the doors and stuff like that, you know. Right, right. Kind of uh, maintenance painting. Exactly, maintenance painting. My neighbors pick on me. They're like... What are you doing? Are you going to paint the whole place or just the railings? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even have all the ladders and stuff. Even if I wanted to do it, you know, yeah, you really need like some scaffolding to get to some of the places. Yeah, it's it's an investment, and that's why they're exactly. painters, you know. Yeah, exactly. 
And then all you need is, you know, to drop a bucket of pure white on your blacktop driveway. No, don't even. Now, <laughs> now you're jinxing me. I'm man. just saying, you know, this is. Because it is pure white that I'm paying Yeah, with. Yeah, you know, when you start getting involved in all this stuff, you realize, you know, why dudes invest in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of drop cloths and all of this other stuff because, you know, they can't. Uh, there's no explanation if they do it on your property, you know. Now, now, you know, following in your well-known tagline, I only pour out as much as I'm willing to spill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I usually go with a much smaller portion when I'm moving around. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. You don't want to carry around full gallons. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, my brother, what do you have today in a cryptids in the news and other oddities segment yeah we are going up to one of our favorite places to british columbia canada oh uh, yeah yeah but yeah. this time we're not going after the hairy man in british columbia really no we're going to talk about the ogopogo ah the ogopogo I'm Do you little, know this critter? A little bit. He's a, a sea serpent, right? Purported yeah. sea serpent. Now, have you met him? You know, I should say, do you know him first and have you met him? Like, is he an acquaintance? Well, we do exchange <laughs> Christmas cards. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this Ogopogo, I haven't met him either, and uh, I don't get Christmas cards from him. But I'm open to it, Ogopogo, if you're listening. If you want to send me a card. <laughs> yeah. They'll send you so, a freaking salmon. <laughs> so this this creature, Bill, he's been around for centuries. And uh, it is a sea serpent. Um, it ranges, the sightings, the reportings range from 40 to 120 feet long. Wow, man. Yeah. I think that rivals Nessie. Yes, this is kind of a... A Nessie cousin okay. uh, of sorts, and and like some of the other creatures we've talked about, from Champ uh, and up into Alaska and to some of their deep lakes, we've covered the cryptids. Um, but this thing's a monster, you know, and it's green in color, so definitely serpent-like. Has yeah. bumps along its back, and its head uh, is reported to be shaped like a horse's head. Yeah, that's kind of weird, More right? Than like mean, a snake head, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just very unusual. Uh, and again, with the bumps on the back. Yeah. You know, people are seeing, you know, it's like when we start to plug together the uh, Bigfoot phenomena. You know, you start to get the same or similar pieces to the puzzle from, you know, a thousand different people. Uh, you know, you can pretty much bet that, you know, this is what's being seen, my friend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one yeah. doesn't say the Bigfoot had blonde hair and blue eyes, you know? Right. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, to me, it's some kind of uh, uh, maybe an eel like, giant eel like creature. And uh, I'll give the stats on this lake in a minute, but it's another one of these glacial lakes, very large and very deep, and with a strange structure. Along the bottom, like a terraced structure along the bottom of the lake, uh-huh. as a result of the you know the glacier kind of melting and growing and melting and growing over time. 
Well, you know, has anybody said there's any type of uh, feed or entryway into this uh, body of water from elsewhere? Yeah, they they say that they're like interconnected with other other lakes, both above the surface and under the surface. But I couldn't find anything, you know, concrete on how it's connected under the surface. So if any of you up there um, near uh, Lake Aconagan, Aconagan, I guess, in uh, British Columbia, let us know what you think, you know, and. This thing's been seen by the First First Nations people up there for centuries and, you know, widespread documentation of it in their folklore. And then the settlers that ventured west out there in British Columbia started to see it and report on it in the 1800s. Yeah, I mean, come on. Here we go again. Like, these these people have nothing better to do than to make up fables and undoubtedly people who don't know each other. Uh, they're making up the same fable, you know, of Santa Claus coming down the chimney and they don't even know each other. Yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense is that these people are seeing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very bizarre. Yeah, and like I said, this is a glacial lake. It's a long and narrow lake, kind of like the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Um, it's about 80 miles long, and the average, uh, the maximum depth of it is about 770 feet. So it's deep. Yeah. And the average depth of it is 250 feet. Wow. And you're talking... 80 miles. Uh, how long is Long Island, Kev? I think it's like 70, right? No, no. I think it's like 120, 130. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I only live here. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> but It's a long way from uh, you know, the Midtown Tunnel to the tip of Montauk. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It is a long way. Yeah. Uh, but 80 miles. It's a big lake. Man. That's a big chunk of real estate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, Okanagan, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, folks, that it's located east of Vancouver, British Columbia, which is out on the coast, and then northwest of Spokane, Washington, my old uh, uh, homestead. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it's about 130 miles by car northwest of Christina Lake in British Columbia, which I've talked about before, saying one of the most beautiful lakes I've ever been to. Yeah, now, did did any of the uh, older reports uh, indicate seeing the creature out of the water? Um, They see it, like, along the surface of the water. And probably the most interesting account is actually a modern account. Okay. And I'm going to put this video up. It's on YouTube, an interview with uh, this gentleman who saw it while he was on the beach and his son was out on a paddleboard. Oh, boy. And the thing cruised by his son. Great. Yeah. And it's a crystal clear video. It's uh, it's super calm that day, middle of the day, summer day. And uh, the lake is smooth as glass. And you see what looks like a boat wake coming by this kid on uh, the paddleboard. And when I first saw it, I was like, well, that's a boat wake. But then you start to see that you can see these, like, flippers or bumps within the wake. Oh, boy. Yeah. And this is the one that was reported measured at about 120 feet long. 
That is freaking enormous. Yeah. And this is June 1st, 2019. Did the kid react to it? Or yeah, no? he was like sitting on the board and uh, like looking right at it. The film's taken from behind him from the beach. And uh, the guy said <laughs> his son's afraid to go past what they call the sandbar now. And the dad said, I'm afraid to go in the water. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you don't, you don't know if this thing's willing to strike at something for food. You know, why take a chance, you know? Well, it's got to eat something if it's something big, if it's 120 feet long. Yeah, who knows how big the mouth is, you know? No, exactly. exactly. I mean, look. And again, just like we talked about with some of the other lake creatures, there has to be more than one. Yeah, you know, they have to mate to propagate if, the you know, species. If the thing exists, it's a species that we just don't know about. That's right. Now, of course, we have uh, certain whales that just eat uh, plankton sure. uh, and tiny, uh, tiny fish, you know. So if it's along that ilk, but I don't know what's in that uh, lake as far as food supply, you know, if they have such things to eat or if they're riding around eating bigger fish, you know. Yeah, I mean, probably a ton of fish, right? You know. Yeah. Something that big up there in British Columbia. Yeah, not not like a white chalk, though, trying to see how your surfboard tastes, and then maybe you. Hey, I told you I'm out at the coast swimming around, Bill. We don't have to talk about those big white <laughs> yeah. shark <laughs> creatures, which there happen to be a few of them that are tagged that are swimming around out here right now, by the way. Yeah, they're all over the place swimming around. <laughs> Jeez. I told Fortunately, you. we have a good share of dolphin that are cruising up and down the coast, and I'm counting on them to save my butt. Yeah, I think you watch too many flipper episodes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Flipper used to always save bud, you know? <laughs> the, bull, the bull shark would be circling his surfboard, and uh, all of a sudden Flipper would show up, and the music would get dramatic, you know, and he'd be butting the shark and killing him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness well you know i always like the older versions of the accounts now it's not that i don't uh give credibility to the modern one which is fine because we're all saying hey where are the pictures where's this and where's that and then here you have a, a modern day what we're talking two years old Exactly. A uh, couple of witnesses, the boy, the what is it, the father? The father uh, videotapes it. Yeah. I mean, and I'll is... put it up on our website, com under episodes. And uh, you'll look at it. And again, the first time you see it, you'll be like, oh, come on, KJ, this is a wake of a boat. And then I'm like, look at it. Wait for it. <laughs> yeah. And you'll see something else there. Yeah, no doubt about it, you know. Which is what they talk about. And again, a lot of people have seen it, but this happens to be pretty good video. I mean, let me know what you think after you see it. Yeah, and of course, naysayers would say, you know, oh, they had some radio-controlled, you know, you know, like everything has oh, yeah, to be yeah. Well, planned. I haven't seen that, Bill, but it's interesting. Um, the, the logical explanation for this particular sighting is a lake sturgeon. That's mm -hmm. what people say. Uh-huh. The experts say. So I looked it up. Like, how big do you think a lake sturgeon gets? Uh, I'd say upwards of 15 feet. Yeah, so good guess, good guess. About six feet. Okay. 
But the, the saltwater ones are like 16 feet and 800 pounds. Oh, okay. So that's kind of what I was that's thinking That's what I of. was thinking, too, until I looked it up. All right. It's still but, it's a big fish. Yeah, but it's a lot smaller than 100 feet or 120 feet. Yeah. And, and where does the estimate come from of, say, 100 feet? The, uh, from looking at the video. Because you can see the kid in the video on the, the uh, paddleboard okay. right there by the wake. All right. So it, it's big. And they're uh, estimating as it goes by this 100, exactly. 100 Now, it could be, I mean, say it's 50 feet long, right? Yep. And it's kicking up a wake behind it that it appears like it's the same wake that's at the front of it. You know right. what I mean? It could be. Right. Who knows? Um, but still, 50 feet long is big. That's monstrous. Bigger than a sturgeon. Yeah, because the uh, if you think about like the megalodon... Uh, they estimate that that monster was, uh, an adult, was like 60 feet. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you think of a 60-foot megalodon bearing down on you. Ugh. You're freaking in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> Big that trouble. That thing would eat me or you like a whale eats a piece of plankton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're it's a freaking... not even any chewing going on. A sardine. Oh, my so, goodness. So let's talk about some of the older uh, stuff that happened, the older sightings. So the, the first uh, nation folks up there are called the Silix. And uh, um, the Silix, in their native language, called the Ogopogo uh, Naitaka. And Naitaka translates into something like an evil supernatural entity with great power and ill intent. Wow. You know, and then it also translates into something like water demon or water god or sacred creature of the water. Okay, so now they didn't just come up with this name out of nowhere. Right. There was something about this thing that had freaked out some people. Oh, yeah. It oh, yeah. scared them. Yeah, well, get this. So now it scared them enough that the... Uh, then in the First Nations lore, uh, the Nataka, this creature, demanded a live sacrifice every time someone was going to cross the lake. So for hundreds of years, these First Nations folks would sacrifice small animals before entering the water. Huh. Did any... Then, uh, oh, go ahead. Are they talking about sacrifices and throwing the thing into the water? They don't, they don't talk about it. So. Oh, okay. Um, but some of the oral traditions from this time, they describe a visiting chief whose name was Tim Basket, and he rejected the whole concept of uh, requiring the sacrifice to go across the beautiful lake, and he denied, you know, the complete existence of this water demon. Uh-huh. And when he went into the lake, apparently with his family, the creature whipped up the surface of the lake with its long tail. And the canoe and its occupants were sucked to the bottom of the lake. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now that's uh, talk about payback. So how do you like them ripples, Mr. Sturgeon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, you know, the quote experts, here we are with the experts again, like they know everything about anything. We know nothing. Yeah. Uh, and nothing is a reliable source other than what they tell you. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't buy the uh, six-foot lake sturgeon 
uh, coming by that guy's paddleboard and uh, laying out that kind of wake. Um, look, even a, even a six-foot shark close to the surface with its dorsal fin sticking out doesn't create a wake like that. You simply no. see the... In fact, you wouldn't even know it was there unless you saw the fins slicing through no, the water I mean, like I a razor. See pods, uh, I see pods of dolphin all the time. Like right. Like 12, 15 dolphin. There's no wake. There's nothing. You just see them come out of the water yeah, and go their, back in. I see their uh, uh, dorsal fin. I see a little puff of air, you know, with a little water moisture if they're real close to the shore. Otherwise, I just see their dorsal fin. Even if it's a glass... Calm day. There's no wake around them. Yeah, no. I mean, these guys talk as though these fish are swimming along like a submarine with its conning tower sticking out <laughs> of the surface, you know, and everybody knows what they're looking at, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm sorry. I just don't know any fish that I see doing that. No. And no. particularly riding in some kind of beeline around the surface for, you know, a lot of yards, shall we say. No, exactly. exactly. You, you may see uh, a fish come up uh, intermittently uh, and, and make a little ripple or something or a splash at the surface, but they're not swimming along continually uh, breaching the surface or an inch below the surface uh, that would create this constant flow or weight coming off of their body. Yep. It's, uh, anyways, very interesting, man. Yeah, and then, so I talked about the fact that the settlers, you know, that were heading west out there in British Columbia in the 1800s, they started to see it too. And one of the cooler, coolest accounts is in 1855 uh -huh. uh, by a settler named John McDougall. Old John McDougall. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> he was making a crossing of a portion of the lake with his horses. So he had his horses on their uh, reins, you know, kind of swimming through the water. Mm -hmm. And he was in a canoe alongside them. Okay. And all of a sudden, the water got all riled up around them, and his horses were sucked down in the water, and nearly his canoe with him in it until he cut the line that was connected to the reins of the horses, and the horses disappeared. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's a creepy account. It is, and sucked down into the water by what, like a whirlpool? Well, or this creature. So Jeez. the legend says that, like, it uses its tail to kind of stir up the water, and then, um, you know, the, you know whatever's there disappears, kind of like the chief and his family, the First Nations chief and his family. Wow. I, I so, don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't know what to think. Um, but check out the video. We'll talk about it again next week. There's a few other videos out there as well. I shared the one that I thought was the best, best one. Um, and then just to show you what a big deal this is out there, in, 1980, in the 1980s, a local tourism agency offered like a million-dollar cash reward for a proven sighting of the beast. And then at that same time, Greenpeace got involved and said that the beast must be filmed and not captured or hurt. Hmm. So... Well, you know, good luck with that. You put a million bucks on the table. First of all, it, it's going to be very difficult uh, to take down a creature that size. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, to find it, and then uh, I don't know what you use. Even if you use a harpoon, uh, very difficult, man. You better have, you know, it reminds me of Jaws when the guy said, we need a bigger boat. Yeah, the chief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you need Captain Quinn and the orca. Yeah. yeah we get need this beast. <laughs> <laughs> we need a bigger boat. Uh. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. Awesome. So that is the Ogopogo. Awesome, Kev. Good stuff. All right. So I'm going to move right into this rather amazing Bigfoot encounter. And it was told to me by a fellow named Mark O'Leary, who at the time of this encounter was only 16 years old. Listen to this as Mark recollects what he saw with his father and uncle while moose hunting in Canada. In 1962, my family was living in the outskirts of Toronto. We regularly hunted and fished in many locations in the provinces. One of our favorite locations was the Shenango Lake area north of Foliette. This was one of our best locations for fishing walleyes, perch, and northerns. However, this time around, it was for a moose hunt that we went there. The trip was a 450-mile run by car to the train station, where we climbed aboard, aboard the Canadian National Railway with our gear. The train stopped at our destination, where we then hooked up with a camp owner who brought us to our accommodations for the week. This entire region was loaded with outlying lakes and beautiful timber, which was the perfect habitat for moose. When we fished here, we typically rented a motorboat and would regularly see moose foraging by the side of the lake. Many times we would see them enter into the lake to eat bottom vegetation. This trip, however, was to be taken on foot with two different guides. My father and I went with a fellow named Pierre, and my uncle was with a guy named Rolf. For me, the plan was to spend alternating days with either my uncle or my dad. Both of our guides were using what is known as a bugle. I don't recall exactly what it was, but my recollection was that of a large animal horn of some type. It actually required some skill and expertise to produce the proper sound when blowing into it. But when it was done right, it would call the moose into the location where you were. It was on the third day of the trip that we had hiked up to Lay Lake in hopes of finding some larger moose. On that day, it was to be my dad and I working the southern tip of the lake, while my uncle and Ralph worked the northern end of the lake. We were seeing moose, but according to the guides, there were larger bulls that were well worth the extra effort of finding, and so we followed their lead. My dad didn't talk much about the money, but at the time, I knew it was costing them a pretty penny to be here. I was happy they had spent it. We spent the entire day working the edges of Lake Lay and had once again passed on what I thought was some really decent-looking bulls. It was on day four that we were hiking north up an old logging road, with our destination being Frank Lake. My father and Pierre had split off from us to continue on, 
and we were going with Ralph northwest to Rocky Lake. Our plan for the day was to divide and conquer. At least that's what Ralph had said. When we were closing in on the southern end of Rocky Lake, Ralph had said quietly that he heard something. He said that we were going to sit tight right where we were, and he was going to start calling. It was amazing to me what these professionals were capable of in the woods. I say this because my uncle and I had heard nothing. Rolf had started bugling in the usual fashion. About 30 minutes or so later, we started to hear some loud crashing and crunching in the woods, and he just smiled. It sounded like an elephant was smashing its way through the timber, and we were smiling from ear to ear in anticipation of seeing the beast that was capable of making such a commotion. Over the past three days, we had heard nothing like this, and we had certainly seen many really large moose. Whatever this was that was responding to the, bu the bugle had to be of immense proportions, and yet we hadn't seen anything as of yet. Suddenly, everything went silent, and I could tell by the facial expressions which Ralph was making that he was puzzled over this sudden stoppage of movement. It remained as was for about 20 minutes, as Ralph continued to bugle intermittently. It was then that we heard what sounded like a tree thrashing about ahead of us that was accompanied by some very deep, guttural grunting sounds. This sound was unlike anything we heard in the previous days being made by the moose, and yet we still hadn't seen anything. Now, everything I'm about to say from here on out had happened very quickly. All of our attention had been drawn to looking at and listening to this commotion that was coming from directly in front of us, prior to the silence, when suddenly my uncle had turned to his left and whispered, Oh my God, what is that? We all turned to behold an enormous ape-like creature that was standing in the fringes of the timber, parting some low brush with its hands to look at us. We had heard nothing coming from this side whatsoever up to the point where my uncle said, Oh my God! This gorilla, or monster, must have been 12 feet tall and just stood there, staring us down while rocking from side to side. It seemed to have no fear of us whatsoever and maintained its position as we did also. Rolf had chambered around and held his gun up at the ready in the direction of this monster. I don't know why he didn't shoot, but he held his gun in a way that I thought he was going to. No sooner had he raised his gun than did the beast retreat into the trees, and we could hear nothing of it doing so. What surprised us all was that something so large could sneak up on us and retreat with such stealth. It was after about five minutes that the woods in front of us erupted with sounds of thrashing and crashing once again. As soon as the noise subsided, a roar of immense volume came from out of the trees. It was so loud that I felt it make my cheeks quiver. I can tell you right now that at the time I was scared to death. What we had seen was so large and formidable a creature that I thought it would kill us with guns or without. 
This roar went on for about 20 seconds and then stopped. It was then that Ralph said, it's time to go. We started to make our way out the way we had come in. The whole time we could hear activity in the timber to our left-hand side. The beast was following us. My uncle and Ralph were both holding their guns in a way that indicated they were ready to shoot if need be at any time. We were now about a mile away from where we had parted ways with my dad and Pierre, and about halfway through the hike, when the noises to our left hand had ceased. We were almost at the fork where we had split up when my dad and Pierre appeared, walking in our direction. As we met up, they said, We're coming to help. We heard the roar and thought you may be in trouble, but there were no gunshots. We started to explain to them all that had happened from hearing the trees and the rustling to seeing the monster standing near us. Pierre started asking Rolf about the nature of what we had encountered, being puzzled by what we were saying. He thought we may have encountered a large bear. Rolf told him it was a huge hair-covered monster, similar to a man and an ape in one being. He described it as being well over four meters tall and perhaps two meters at the shoulders. Its body appeared to be extremely muscular, as was evidenced by its ability to shake large trees. Ralph told him it had extremely large hands and dark skin with black dead man's eyes, as he called them. Pierre said that it sounded like we had counted the hairy man of the woods. Never had either, either of them encountered such a creature before, although they were both in agreement that they now knew what the roars were, having heard them before many times. The hands on this creature hung at knee level, and its upper thighs were about 16 inches broad from a frontal view. The upper torso formed a perfect V-shape from the waist up. Its nose was broad and flat, with hair coming into both sides of the face as well as hanging from the chin. The most horrific part of the entire counter was when the roar emanated through the trees. The beast couldn't have been more than a hundred feet away when it erupted into this scream. As it went on, I felt as though it was damaging me. It was actually penetrating my body in a way that made me think my heart was going to stop. I can't explain it to you in any other way than it was absolutely terrifying in every sense of the word. We ended our trip by tagging out down near the camp, having seen nor heard anything more of this hideous beast. What do you think of that, Kev? Whoa. I like how the guide, I think it was Ralph, said, it's time to go. Yeah, very, <laughs> very uh, matter of fact, right? It's a good thing you have a guy to tell yeah. you when it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. If I was with Ralph, he would have said that. He would have turned around and been like, where'd you go? <laughs> I would have been gone long before he yeah. told me to go. Yeah, when he turned to tell you, there would have been a cloud of dust. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you don't have to be faster than the hairy man. You just have to be faster than Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's it. <laughs> How about these guys? Four meters tall. Oof. And they called him <clears throat> the hairy man of the woods. Yeah, so like apparently, apparently they had heard tale of it, and from the account, they had heard roars before, but unidentified. Right. So now uh, they had a positive on what it was they had heard. And if you listen to them, the father and the other guide had heard the roars probably more than a mile away. And they were coming to help them, having heard no gunshots. So who the heck knows what they thought they were going to walk up on, you know? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Death in the woods and people ripped apart or something, you know? Yeah, super, super creepy. But again, you know, up north there, I guess north of Toronto, somewhere looking around these little lakes. Um, No, well, they had come. Let me go back here for a second. I think he said they had come from Toronto. Uh, they yeah, were living, he talked they about were, what Foyolette, north of Foyolette. I don't know where that is, though. So yeah, so they they had come from the outskirts of Toronto and took a four hundred and fifty mile run by car to a train station, where they got aboard the Canadian National Railway with all our stuff to head to this area. Oh, okay. So they're probably way up north. Yeah, they 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 took a long trip to get where they were going. And uh, but you know once again, uh, I had that feller I told you I befriended up in Alberta, who had an encounter of his own, uh, and a secondary encounter he had where he saw nothing but heard what he believed was a Bigfoot. He was sitting on a little ridge on top of I guess what you would call like a low lying mountain with his back up against a tree. He heard this, for lack of better words, this banging and pounding coming up the ridge behind him. Now, he was sitting against a tree up against it in a way where you couldn't see him if you were coming up the other side. It was a big enough tree. Right. And this thing came thrashing and crashing up to him. And he believes it put its hand on the very tree he was leaning against. He could hear it breathing. And then the thing turned or left and went back down. Well, Yeah, can you imagine that? No. Sitting there with your back turned, he's got a weapon, but he's afraid to stand up and turn. It's just so... So out of the box, and this guy is a really experienced hunter. So uh, yeah, I don't I mean, know. It's easy for me to say, but I'm thinking you got to stand up and turn at that point, or you're the hunted. Well, probably he was seconds away from having to do something, right? Yeah. Exactly. When the thing, when the thing, whatever it was, turned and went down. But <clears throat> he said that he knew with positivity this was not a four-legged creature. Right. It was two legs and very weighty. Mm-hmm. So now if you have a 9, 10, or in this case what they're describing as a 12-foot monster, 12 freaking feet. I mean, when I stand in front, which I've done, when I stand in front of a, a basketball hoop at 10-foot uh, 
at the schoolyard across the street from me. And I start to visualize the immensity of a Bigfoot. Now, look at using the 10-foot rim as a marker. If you drop it down two feet, you're at eight. If you bump it up a foot or two, you're at 11 or 12. You're talking a freaking behemoth. And I, I can't imagine how you do anything but damn near drop dead. Uh, if something like that was bearing down on you. No, and certainly if the thing did come walking up behind you, like the other account, you know, you're probably going to feel the ground moving a little bit. It's got to be. Kev, you watch... like a truck pulling up next to you in the woods. You watch the the, uh, uh, Expedition Bigfoot now, right? I do, yeah. So you've seen them. Uh, I always like when the, uh, the searchers... Uh, when they believe they found an impression, uh, particularly in moss, you know, when they take their boot and do a heavy pounding step, sometimes two or three times, uh, and it doesn't match up with what they're looking at. Yeah. You know, and nobody walks like that, right? No. Nobody walks like these guys are pounding their boot tread into the moss. And yet what they're looking at, just apparently walking, uh, doubled the impression in the same moss with just its body weight. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, you know, these are massive creatures, man. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. That's just uh, crazy. You know, if I go out, uh, let's just say I go out in the yard to mow the grass uh, and... uh, that morning, the sprinklers have soaked the ground for a while, and it's not hard pack. Uh, but all I'm really doing is compressing the grass. That's exactly what I was going to say. Your foot's not sinking into the ground. No. no. I mean, and and after I go over with the mower, you don't even know I walked there. Right. You know, so, I mean, I look at these things from a logical point of view that it's got to be something of immense weight to leave impressions and impressions that stay. It's just like whatever it walks on is smashed beyond rebounding. Yeah, I'm with you. You know? So, uh, pretty interesting account, man. Wild account. Yeah. And once again, who's seeing this stuff? People who are out there doing things that aren't quite the norm, so to speak, you know. Oh, yeah, and they're way out there, like you, like you talked about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so and that's not to say you couldn't. Uh, I have an account in uh, volume nine, which, by the way, I'm in proofing stages of this. Uh, so hopefully that'll be a uh, paperback and ebook soon. A lot of stuff going on here, but there's an account of a police officer. Washington State Patrolman uh, in 2000, uh, working the graveyard shift, uh, coming down a dark road up there solo, and uh, he sees this thing step out into the road. So he starts to break, uh, and he said that the creature just profiled him. In other words, he could only see it from the side. It never turned and looked directly at him. Right. But it was enormous and then continued across the road. Mm. 
And he said that this thing changed his life forever. Hmm. He has like problems, uh, you know, uh, a certain amount of fear and apprehension of doing things that he used to do uh, just matter of factly, because now it's a reality to him that, damn, something like this thing could be watching me or hmm. walking around out there. And, you know, once you see something, that becomes part of your reality. You know what happened to you, irregardless of what anyone says, you know? Yeah, well, it's like that police officer up in the famous Whitehall, New York encounter, you know, where he says, I'm finally looking at something and seeing something right in front of me. I think then it was about six feet away that I had been told my whole life did not exist. Right. It's got to have an impact on you. Of course. And think about that guy. Think about the mindset when the creature is at six feet and he's got a gun. Mm -hmm. What is he thinking about? It's like you're stupefied. You're shocked. You're just like, remember the old movies, Kev, where some of them go, their jaws would be flapping, (laughs) you know, and they couldn't move, right? Uh, I think of... uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein <laughs> when uh, Dracula started coming out of the coffin in the warehouse. Yeah, Lou sees him. Whoa. Yeah, and he's, he's like, check, check, <laughs> Remember? I do. Now that you imitate it. I couldn't he, remember what he did, but I remember uh, uh, Bud Abbott not knowing like what the heck was going on. Right, and then, of course, Lugosi gets out of the box and is looking at him. And he just goes into that uh, stupor face, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then he sees that the uh, uh, Drac thinks he's in, like, a, 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 under a spell, and he goes to electrify the monster, you know, opening up the other crate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that stuff was so funny, man. Awesome. All right, Bill. Well, great account. We got some good listener mail, too. And this first letter, we're going to get the creep on. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm always ready for the creep fest. All right. So this (laughs) comes in from Adam from Iowa, out in the Midwestern United States. And the subject gets the creep going. (laughs) Shape-shifting witch in Mexican orchard. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Adam, you had me at shape-shifting witch, I got to tell you. Well, the only thing that could have made that better would be a shape-shifting witch with a pet Bigfoot. Oh, I was going to say, or a pet Rougarou. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's All have right, at it. So Adam writes, hey, fellas, this is the second time I've contacted you now. Uh-huh. But I'm hooked on your podcast, and I really really love to immerse myself in these accounts. As you tell stories of cryptids and other oddities, I'm reminded of a story a former co-worker told me four years ago. Uh-huh. He was from Mexico, and he sometimes struggled with English. So getting specific details from him was challenging at times, but I am confident I understood this tale from his childhood. It was told as follows. He and his cousin were on his uncle's orchard in Mexico when they were young. 
The two boys were looking for something to do, so they headed out to the orchard with what he described as a slingshot. They reached the edge of the orchard where the forest began when they saw what appeared to be a large owl high in the tree. He said it looked as if its head was tucked down and obscured in its wings. His cousin took a shot at it from the ground but missed, so he decided he would climb the tree to get closer for a second shot. As he ascended into the tree, the owl slowly opened its wings to reveal the head of a witch. Hey. <laughs> oh, my goodness. As he attempted to describe this, he said it was a witch or an old woman. Either way, creep fest. Yeah. What are you doing up and sitting in the tree, old lady? <laughs> with, a, with, a, with your owl costume on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the sight was so frightening, his cousin leapt to the ground, and the two boys began sprinting back through the orchard toward the home. The witch, as he called it, took flight and chased them. No matter how much ground they covered, it stayed in close pursuit. However, as the house came into view, the creature had vanished. When they told the uncle, he just said, I've seen that too. Wow. And it says, my coworker was 27 when he told me that story, and it still bothered him and scared him 20 years later. He wow. literally shivered in fear at recounting the tale to me, and I believe he was telling the truth. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah. And then Adam writes, I believe this creature was nothing more than a demonic manifestation from the bowels of hell. Why it, seem, why it seemed to be sleeping in a Mexican orchard is anyone's guess. I stand by, by, by my belief that while these creatures can roam or creep around the earth and instill fear in people... They cannot physically harm God's people, those who believe in and are thereby protected by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Take care, Adam. Well, uh, don't hold anything back, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> but I told you we were going to get the creep on. Holy cow. Yeah, I mean, you know, and thanks, Adam, for chiming in uh, with that story. You know... I think the guy is spot on uh, with what he said. You know, this this is obviously not normal uh, as we know it. You know, there's nothing normal about what that guy described. No. Uh, I don't personally believe this thing was sleeping. No. I think it manifested and then fully manifested uh to who knows what type of trouble well, it made. it's kind of hiding its face, right? We've seen birds do that, where they tuck their head under their wing, whatever they're doing, you know. Right. Biting at some mites or whatever, but you can't see its face. So I definitely wouldn't say it's sleeping, whatever it was up to. And then when it showed itself, it's like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, a witch's face attached to a giant owl? Yeah. Talk about a shapeshifter. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so, part, uh, Adam, thank you for the creepy tale, and thanks for writing in again. This next one, Bill, comes from Preston, and Preston is up in the Adirondacks. And he says, hey, KJ, 
When visiting the Northeast region this summer, you should come to the Adirondacks. We know we have the hairy big guy in residence, and then there's also Lake Champlain with Champ. What more, what more could you want? Preston. <laughs> I love it, Preston. And by the way, I am at that point. Like, I've arranged the part of my trip this summer, two-week trip up in the Northeast, to uh, for all of my accommodations, now I'm figuring out where the cryptids and other oddities are. So I appreciate. <laughs> I got to stop in and see, uh, you know, some of the cryptids and museums, and look for the hairy man, etc. Yeah, and you know, Kev, you're going to be doing a fair amount of hiking as well. Oh yeah. So you know, just make sure you got your camera and. You know, you really, I'm not kidding. You should bring something to even uh, a small supply to cast a footprint if you run across it. Yeah, it's a good good point. You know, all you and, need is a... Uh, where the states allow it, I will be carrying more gun than I think I'm going to need. <laughs> yeah, you bet your butt. Just to be clear. Whammo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Spencer writes in next from Sweden. Yeah. Fantastic. He says, hello, boys. First amazing job on the podcast. Kevin is amazing. The other bloke is mildly amusing. <laughs> <laughs> and your mother dresses you funny. <laughs> he says, I'm joking. You are both fantastic, and I look forward to a new episode every week. Taking long walks through the Swedish forest, listening to the creep fest. <laughs> but for some reason, I can't view your pics on the website, as it says, not available in your country. Oh, isn't that interesting? Huh. And he says, plus, plus, as far as I can see, you can't even give a rating on Spotify. Well, that is true. Spotify does not allow... You guys and gals out there to give a rating. So to give a rating, you just got to switch over to a different player and look us up and give us a rating, even if you want to go back and listen to us full time on Spotify. But back to the letter. I listen to every episode and tell my friends, although Swedish is, is the first language here, pretty much everyone can speak English. Everyone I tell about it enjoys it. You make it funny and entertaining. Bill, it says, Bill, as her in Sweden, it's not as common and as easy to carry weapons. Oh, he, I'm sorry. Bill, as here in Sweden, it's not as common and as easy to carry weapons. Every time I'm out in the woods, I, are, I always carry more slingshots than I think I'm going to need. <laughs> that ain't going to do it, brother. That ain't going to do it. You might just annoy him. <laughs> Oh, boy. Good job, boys. Keep it up and take care of your families and yourselves. Love and respect from Sweden. Sweden. Thank you, know, you so, Spencer. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Sweden's a long way away, Kev. Uh, I got that right. And it's uh, it's just kind of neat that uh, uh, people are digging on what we do. Exactly. exactly. They're, they're smelling what we're cooking. 
Exactly. A long ways away from here. And then somebody else wrote in. They didn't give their name, um, but I do want to mention it. They said, uh, how come your website doesn't let me download the audio files? And um, that is correct. So we don't have the audio files of all the podcasts on our website, but they are downloaded every Saturday night to all of the popular podcast players. So although we don't have them hosted on our website, we do have them hosted on a more efficient means for you to get it from any podcast player. But we do have all of the episodes listed on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And when it's appropriate, like this week, we will have uh, YouTube footage and photographs, etc., with the episodes on our website. So uh, sorry that you can't download it from there, but we find it to be a lot more efficient to instead uh, put it on a, a, a larger-scale hosting platform that distributes it automatically. Yeah, and those people can handle a lot more data than we can. Absolutely. You know, you know so. to host our website, my brother's got to get on that stationary bike and pedal as fast as he can to <laughs> keep the thing running. <laughs> Down in the basement. Yeah. That spot. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, folks, that's just one of the expenditures of podcasting. You know, we actually right. pay a host no to handle all of our data. And the website. Yeah. And the website as well. So, yeah. you know. All right. And our last letter, Bill, email comes in from Janice. Happy centennial anniversary. You guys entertain and educate. You completely amuse me. The strange and abnormal are my jam. Thanks for everything. Again, congratulations on your 100th episode. Fantastic. Super cool. Yeah, and see, uh, uh, this is what we're shooting at, folks. You know, some people call in just to say hello, and some people got a little something else to say, and it's all good. You know, you are our podcast family, and we're certainly gleaning a lot of data uh, from our listenership. So please, if you've seen something, say something. Go to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact link. It's just that easy. Send us a message, you know. Uh, and we'd be glad to hear from you. And a lot of these messages we read in our listener mail. Very cool. And if you haven't left us a five-star review lately, please leave us a five-star review right now. Those five-star reviews are virtually the only means of us attracting new listeners. And as we get more listeners, we're able to improve the quality of the podcast and stay on that weekly schedule. So thank you so much, folks. Be safe. And let us know if you see any cryptids, other oddities, or the hairy man of the woods. Yeah, very interesting. And you know, folks, if you find yourself wandering around up in the woods, here in the Northeast, as my brother's about to do, or anywhere else, let me remind you of just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.